All right, I'm Pastor Kevin, and we're in a new series. This is our second week in this series, and it's called The Four Circles. We said last week we preached and taught out of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and you shall receive power, but you shall receive power to be a witness. Witnessing is not something that we do. It's something that God's power causes us to be. Christianity is not about doing. It's about being. So we learned about the priority of being a witness. We learned about the power of being a witness. We learned about the point. What's the point? Remember we said to look good and point. If you weren't here, go back on the website and watch the message. And then the fourth thing we said, the places were to be a witness. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We're going to talk about those uh, more specifically next week. Uh, but today we're going to focus on the uttermost parts of the earth. Before we get into it, just want to say hi, howdy, and welcome to all of our guests that might be worshiping with us today. If you're a guest, we have a gift we want to bless you with, a couple of gifts actually. If you will just text HCVIP. Harvest Church VIP, HCVIP to the number on the screen, and we've got a, a couple of gifts for you, and we're just so happy that you decided to worship with us today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're watching us online, welcome to you as well. Thanks for tuning in on Facebook Live and HarvestMill, HarvestMobile.com. It's mobile. It's not mobile. HarvestMobile. Even people in, in, in Mobile, when I tell them our website, they're like, it's Harvest Mobile. I'm like, no, you know where you live. We live in Mobile. So, all right. I know it's not spelled that way, but that's how you say it. Awesome. Well, if you will, uh, open your Bibles with me today. In a few moments, we're going to look at two passages of Scripture. One is in Acts chapter 26, verse 13, and then we're going to go to Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. So, Acts 13, I'm sorry, Acts chapter, what did I say? 26 and verse 13, I think, and then... We're going to go to Matthew 9.36. Today I want to give you a little history lesson. You may know that we have a big heart for missions around here, outreach and missions, local outreach. We want to bless our city. But you know that I have a big heart for the nation of India, and our church supports missions in the nation of India. In fact, before I pastored here, I lived in India and so I want to give you a little history lesson about why. Why do I have such a big heart for India? Why does our church so, so much in, into that nation? So here's the history lesson. Are you ready? All right, you're probably going to learn more than you ever wanted to know today. First of all, I was born at a very young age. <laughs> I'm from my mother originally. And we lived in West Jackson. I was born at Heinz General Hospital, in case you care. Jackson, Mississippi, West Jackson, off Flag Chapel Road in the Queens Lanes. We lived on Queen Alma Drive. And in the late 70s, a phenomenon occurred that you may have heard of. It's called, that's my 70s parents right there, by the way. A phenomenon occurred called White Flight. We had an African-American uh, family moving to the neighborhood, and then another one moved in, and so all the white people started moving out, except for my family, because we didn't care. And so before you knew it, we were the only white family in a, I don't know, a, probably a two, three, four mile radius. And so I grew, I had the privilege of growing up having a very multicultural childhood. So I, I went to school, grew up and played with uh, children that were different from me. And I think and know that it was a tremendous blessing because later in my life, uh, I, ha I had the privilege and opportunity of going to another nation, learning another culture, when that helped prepare me to be sensitive to other cultures and people that were near me that maybe weren't just like me, and how that we could love each other and get along. And so also, it also prepared me, I believe, to pastor a multi-ethnic church. And so I'm so thankful for that, that my parents didn't think it was a big deal. And so, of course, my dad, he's half American Indian, and my mom's from Ohio. And so it just wasn't an issue for me growing up. And so around, uh, let's see, when I was around four, five years old, my parents said, we got to take this kid to church. He ain't got no teeth, and we got to take him to church. <laughs> and, uh, and thank God that they did, because I gave my heart to Jesus. And I was filled with God's spirit. And when I was eight years old... I went to kids' camp. I encourage it. Send your kids to camp. 
the youth camp, the kids camp, because camp is life-changing. That's an actual picture of me headed to camp. I don't know if that's actually if I was going to that particular camp, but that's around that age, same age. I'd grown my teeth back so I could eat a sandwich now, so that was good. I was making progress. And so I was eight years old. We went to kids camp in Eupora, Mississippi. I know you probably don't know where that is, but we went to kids camp. On Thursday night, it was the last night of camp, the children's evangelist was sharing the gospel with all of us kids, and he began to tell us about how Jesus died for our sins. They buried him. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead and that he's coming again soon. Well, a certain thought occurred to me for the first time in my little eight-year-old life, and that was that there are people around the world that have never heard the gospel. That was a new thought for me, and that thought bothered me. How many know it should bother us to know that there are people who haven't heard the gospel? And so I prayed a little prayer that changed my life forever. At eight years old, I prayed this. Jesus, send somebody over there to tell them about your love. At that moment in time, Jesus, the head of the church, how many of you know him? He stepped through one of the stained glass windows on the side of that little children's chapel. He walked across the front of that room and he walked down the aisle and he put his hand on my chest. And he said, go to the other side of the world and tell them about my love. He turned around and he walked out. I began to weep. I began to cry. I began to think about people that, that, and how many people had never heard the gospel, didn't know Jesus, and it bothered me. They, they had to pick me up and carry me back to our cabin that night. They said I laid in my bed all night and just wept and cried. I don't remember that. But God put something in me that night that I still carry to this day. And so I, I didn't, you know, I thought Jesus had appeared to everybody that night. So I didn't know why everybody wasn't crying like I was. And, and so when I got home from youth camp or kids camp, I went into my bedroom and I got out the family globe and I found where I lived, Jackson, Mississippi, and I spun it around to the other side of the world where I landed in India. And so in my eight-year-old mind, I concluded with my eight-year-old logic, well, that must be where Jesus wants me to go. That is the other side of the world from where I live. Simple, childlike faith, simple logic. You can see uh, India is worn out on this, on this globe. And so uh, I, when I was 12 years old, when I was 11 years old, my parents got a divorce. When I was 12 years old, my mom took me to a Bible study somewhere in South Jackson, and everybody was, you know, like fondue. Is that what you call it, where you cook your food over a little can of fire or whatever? And I was cooking all my food, and I went over, and I sat on the, by the fireplace by this other guy who looked like he didn't want to be there either. <laughs> and he had a guitar and a mullet, so I thought, oh, he's pretty cool. I like music. And, and he said to me, he said, uh, do you know the hand of God's on your life, young man? I said, yeah, I, I do know that. I'm not doing anything about it, but I do know that. He said, there's a call of God on your life. I said, I know that, but how do you know that? He said, the Lord revealed it to me. Well, come to find out, that was the guy leading the Bible study, and he was planting a church called Word of Life, and his name was Ronnie Sims. He later became my pastor, and those are all the different locations where our church met over the years. And I just spoke at the new facility two, three weeks ago that now they have now, at that time there might have been 50, 80 people coming to the church, and now they have about 5,000 every weekend that come. And his son, that's him at the top, his son is my dear friend, and his son pastors a church now. And so... Um, it was probably, I was probably about 15 before I got really involved in the church, and it was a childhood friend of mine kept inviting me to come to the youth group, and I was like, no, I, I'm really not living for God right now. I don't really care about all that right now, and he said, well, there's going to be all-you-can-eat pizza. I said, what time? <laughs> I know if you feed them, they will come, right? It's one of the secrets of youth ministry. And so it's also one of the secrets of just ministry. In fact, if you're a volunteer, we're having a volunteer rally today after church, and we're going to feed you. So I believe in the power of pepperoni pizza. We're going to have pizza again. So 
uh, I started going to the youth group, and I went to youth camp, and that's where the youth pastor and a few youth leaders baptized me and the Olympic-sized swimming pool. That's actual footage of me and my marvelous mullet being baptized. And uh, I'm telling you, by the way, just pause and say, if you are a volunteer, you never know who that is you're ministering to. I mean, those youth leaders would not let me backslide. They got involved in my life, and you might be parking cars or passing the plate or making lattes or ministering to the babies in the nursery. You never know who that is, whose life you're impacting. They, all they knew, I was just a wild-eyed teenager who they needed to disciple me or I was going to mess some stuff up. But they didn't know that I'd later grow up to be a pastor who helped lead a, over a half million people to Jesus in another nation. And they didn't know all that. They just were faithful to minister and serve in their volunteer post that they were called to. So you never know how powerful what you're doing as a volunteer is. So to all of our volunteers, thank you to all of you. Thank you. Yeah, give them a big hand. We appreciate you guys so much. You really are making a difference. Well, the very next year at that same youth camp, I was sitting around that Olympic-sized swimming pool, and the Lord gave me a word of knowledge. As other kids were being baptized, the Holy Spirit said, there's a young lady here who wants to be water baptized, but she's wearing a white T-shirt, and because she's modest, she's saying in her heart right now, Lord, you know my heart. I want to be baptized, but I can't. I'm not prepared. The Lord said, I want you to give her your T-shirt. I'm like, well, I don't know who she is. So I started looking around the pool for all the girls wearing a white shirt. And then all, and so the Lord said, just, so I just jumped up and said, the Lord just showed me that there's a girl here or the white, you want to get baptized? And I don't know who you are, but you can have my, I had on this dark purple t-shirt. You can have my t-shirt. Well, this beautiful brunette jumped in the pool and she was crying. And she said, that's me. I was just saying, Lord, you know my heart. I'm like, I know that. The Lord told me what you're saying in your heart. And I threw her my t-shirt and she got water baptized in my t-shirt. And about eight years later, I married that girl. <laughs> Good t-shirt investment right there. So um, I remember one day, I had something in me. I wanted to preach. There's a call in me. I remember in fourth grade at show and tell, you know, the teacher gave us all five minutes to, you know, every Monday or something to do show and tell. And so I was, I so enjoyed that. I had other kids were at, they said, Miss Bishop, can we give Kevin my, our five minutes? We want him to have our five minutes. So I'd get up there for sometimes 20 minutes and just entertain the class. I just enjoyed being up in front of people. And it was just a call on my life. I, that's what I was called to do. And so I remember one day, at church, I think, well, God gave me a sermon. i got to preach this sermon. So I went up to my pastor. I said, hey, pastor, I think God's given me a sermon to preach. He slapped me on the back. He goes, well, that's good, son. If God gave you a sermon, he'll give you somewhere to preach it. And he just kept on walking. <laughs> so I thought, well, where can I preach it? So I started preaching on the street corners. I started preaching. You know, I started creating my own outreaches. I had a pickup truck. I'd go stand in the back of my pickup truck with a bullhorn, and I'd preach to everybody coming out of the Motley Crue concert. Man, I was just wild. I'd just preach anywhere I could preach. I had people throw beer bottles at me and all kind of stuff, man. It was fun. And so then I started preaching in Bobby Joyner's garage. We'd gather 50, 60, 75 teenagers. We'd play our guitars and lead worship and preach. And our back then preaching was we'd read verse by verse. We'd just go through a book of the Bible and just that's all we needed to do. We were just trying to figure it out, right? And so one day they started letting me speak in the youth group. And by the time I was a senior in high school, they invited me to become the associate youth pastor at our church. And so the youth pastor preached every, um, uh, my family started going to church there, and I preached every Sunday night to the youth, and uh, my, the youth pastor preached every Wednesday night, and I started developing my preaching chops, and they didn't pay me, but I got to preach, and I thought, I'll do this for free, man, this is awesome. And so uh, they later dissolved that position, I don't know why, they've never reopened that position since I vacated it, but anyway. Um, but I loved being involved in my local church. And I was supposed to originally go to Mississippi College on a partial soccer scholarship. And it was kind of like taking a shower with your socks on. It just didn't feel right. 
And so I went to my pastor, and he goes, well, you know, I went to Raymond Bible College. Have you thought about going there? And I thought, well, let me talk to my dad about it. So I talked to my dad, and he said, yeah, son, that seems good. If that's what you want to do, that seems good to me. So I packed up, and I drove 500-something miles away to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I went to Raymond Bible College and began my training. Well, in between years, of, I'll tell you this, my first year of Bible college, towards the end, they had a big chapel service, and they began to announce all the missions opportunities that were available over the summer. And they said there's 14 opportunities at the Indian Reservation in Arizona. There's 23 opportunities in Africa with missionary Ralph Hagelmeyer. There's, there's uh, 25 positions in Lima, Peru. There's one opportunity in Calcutta, India. And they went on announcing other things. And when they said that, something in my heart jumped. I thought, hey, India? I'm supposed to go there. I remember when I was eight years old. Jesus said, go to the other side. I'm supposed to, I, I'm supposed to go to India. So I rushed to the office and I filled out the form to, to fill this one position in India. And I thought, there's no way they're going to choose me to go to India. Out of all the thousands of students here, a little boy from Jackson, Mississippi, they're not going to choose me to go over there. But I'm going to fill out the form anyway. And if they don't pick me, then one day I'll figure out a way to go over there some other, some other how. And so I came. There's a lady in the office. Her name was Roseanne Money. Isn't that a cool name? Roseanne Money. And I went every day and I pestered her. And I said, hey, did they approve me to go to India? They said, no, Kevin, it'll take a couple of weeks. So come back in a couple of weeks. So I came back the next day. And I said, hey, they approved me to go to India? They said, no, Kevin, it's going to take a couple of weeks. Come back in a couple of weeks. So I came back the next day. And finally, after a couple of weeks, she said, Kevin, I got good news. They picked you to go to India. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I remember when I was eight years old, I ran my fingers around the globe. I'm supposed to go to India. This is amazing. I'm just blown away right now. I was hoping that they would pick me to go. I said, now, all the, all, out of all the hundreds of applications and all the thousands of students here, how many people applied to go to India, and how did I get chosen? So she looked down at her files, and she says, all the people that applied. She said, counting you, Kevin? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, just one. People ask me, how did you get chosen to go to India? I said, I'm the only one that applied for the job. <laughs> so at age 19, I went to India for the first time, and I spent a month in India. And I met some amazing people, and I saw miracles, and I got bit by the missions bug. And so I came back, I finished my training at Ramah, and towards the end of my training at Ramah Bible College, I, the Lord began to stir me about going back to India. I thought, I'll go back to India. That was awesome. But the Lord started telling me, he goes, no, 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 I want you to stay. I was like, stay? I'll go visit, but I'll even go every year. But Jesus, I don't know if you've ever been to India. It's hard over there, man. I'm going to go stay. I said, Lord, here's what. Here's what we're going to do, Jesus. I'll go every year. I'll spend a month in India, and I'll come home. And that, you just bless that. That sounds like a good plan to me. In your name, Amen. You ever, you ever try to talk God into your plan? <laughs> so I, I went to bed. I thought, oh, good. I'm glad we got that settled. Stay. Who wants to stay over there? And so I went to bed that night, and then God visited me in a dream. And in that dream, I was standing in a row of people dressed in white. And in fact, there were rows and rows of people behind me as far as the eye could see. And about a mile up in front of me, there were rows of people standing in white. And there was the judgment seat of Christ. And it was about, I don't know, I'm just guessing Two, three hundred feet in the air where he was looking over this sea of people. And it was, a, it was a tall, thin throne that he was perched on the top of. And standing beside him, on each side of him, was an angel. And these angels were tall and long. I mean, they were hundreds of feet tall. And they were dressed in white, and they were white. And I don't mean like a white boy like me. They were like paper white, like snow white. And they had dark, dark eyes, but they were just white as snow. And they had these big mouths. And they were Jesus' PA system. And they would call out people's names. You know, John Doe, please step forward and give an account for your life. And that person, wherever they were in that sea of people, shoot, they'd be translated up before the throne, judgment seat of Christ. And they'd give an account for their life. And I suppose they would pass through the fires of judgment and the wood, hay, and stubble would be burned up. And if there was any gold, silver, and precious stones, it would remain. And then when the, the angel, he said, missionary evangelist Kevin Cooley, please step forward and give an account for your life. And I thought, huh, 
There's somebody else up here named Kevin Cooley, and they were a missionary. Again, the angel said, missionary evangelist Kevin Cooley, please step forward and give an account for your life. The guy next to me goes, hey, man, aren't you Kevin Cooley? I said, yeah, but I wasn't no missionary. And then millions of people began to turn around and look at me and stare at me. And I started feeling uncomfortable. I think every, when you get to eternity, everybody knows what you were supposed to do, whether you did it or not. Then that angel, he bent way down. And he put his face right in front of me. And his head was as big as my whole body. And he never turned the volume down. And he said, missionary evangelist Kevin Cooley. Please step forward and give an account for the blood of millions on your hands because you did not fulfill the call. Immediately I woke up and I was, had broken out into a cold sweat and I rolled out of that little rented bed that I had at Bible school and I knelt down and I prayed a really short prayer and I said, I'll stay, Jesus, I'll stay. And so I know that we are called to reach at least millions, at least. Together, we can do that. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the largest harvest field on the earth today is the nation of India. And we have an opportunity to make a huge, huge impact there. And we are. I'm going to tell you about that a little bit as we continue. So I became the first missionary to India out of my home church after I graduated from Bible school. My church supported me. I ran all my support through my local church. And they, they I had a volunteer in the church that was one of my youth leaders who checked my mail. And I would mail, I would write, handwrite letters and send photographs back. And they would photocopy the pictures with my handwritten letter, and they'd mail it out to my little mailing list. And I lived on about $2,500 a month, and, that, and we planted four churches and a Bible school. And I lived with this little Indian couple that you may have met before. They've been here a few years ago, Reverend and Mrs. Torah. They're in their 80s now. And together, we planted their ministry. And I remember I'd been there about a year, and I was... 20, almost 21 years old, and I went to Reverend Torot, and I said, I think I'm ready to get married. And he said, okay, I'll arrange it. <laughs> and he was serious. And I was like, okay. He said, any request? I said, she got to be pretty, and she got to love Jesus. So that narrowed it down immediately. And so they found this real pretty Indian girl. Uh, I couldn't pronounce her name, but we called her Jackie. <clears throat> and I thought, I can probably teach her English. She can probably teach me Hindi. This would be good. And so Reverend Torah, he said, well, before you get engaged to this girl, because when you get engaged in India, it's like it's, it's done. It's just the same as getting married. If you break an engagement, it's like a divorce. So before you get engaged to this Indian girl, do you want to go home and tell your family that you're about to get engaged? So that's probably a good idea. So he said, okay, in the next few weeks, you should probably go home and tell your family. So, okay. So I went to bed that night, and the Lord visited me in a dream. And in that dream, I dreamed about this beautiful brunette, hazel-eyed girl getting baptized in my T-shirt. And I woke up, and I thought, man, I hadn't thought about her in years. I, I wonder how she's doing. And the next night, I had the same dream. And I thought, well, maybe the Lord wants me to pray for her. So I did. I prayed for her. Third night, same dream. I thought, I think God's trying to tell me something. So I wrote her a letter from India, and the letter said something like, whether you fulfill the call of God on your life or not, you'll stand before him, and you'll give an account for that call. I, had, I was thinking about that dream I had, and I sent her that letter. So about a month later, I went back to the States, and I was with my family one night in the living room, and the phone rang, and my kid sister, she said, it's for you, Kevin. And I thought, how can it be for me? I've been out of the country for a year. Nobody even really knows I'm home. And I said, just take a message. And so my, I heard my kid sister say, okay, Adrian, I'll tell him that you called. And I said, wait a minute. I'll take that call. And on the other end of the line, she said, I just wanted to say, I got your letter in my dorm room. I had not been living for the Lord, but I got your letter 
And I've gotten right with God. And I just wanted to say thank you. Your letter really impacted me, and I appreciate it. And I said, what are you doing tomorrow night? (laughs) And so the next night we went on a date, and we were inseparable. We saw each other every day until I went back to India, and I just could not... Get her out of my. I didn't. I, obviously, I did not get engaged to the little cute Indian girl. And I went back to India for a few months, and I came back. We got engaged. We got married, and we've been married for 25 and a half years. We've been happily married for 24 and a half years, and and so uh, and I'm so thankful. And uh, she is, as you know, she's an amazing blessing. She loves this church. She loves India. She is an amazing mom. And an incredible wife. And so we then became youth pastors at a large church in Tulsa where we received a lot of training from my, from my mentor who let, actually led me to Christ when I was a little boy. And then we came here and we were youth pastors here at this church for over five years. Or about five years. And we loved our time here. We, uh, uh, we lived for years in a rented house off of Government Street. Government and... Uh, is it Azalea? Where is that? Azalea? And uh, right behind, remember, old, remember where Old Time Pottery is? We live right back there on Rainbow Drive. And so, and so we painted every house and every room in our house a different color. We thought we should live up to the name, Rainbow. So we had all different colors. And so we, we enjoyed that. And we, in 1997, we had our first child here. And then that was October of 97. And then in January of 98, I got fired. I got fired from Harvest Church. And it wasn't like, you're doing a bad job, get out of here. It, the pastor said, I feel like as long as you're working here, I'm, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but I'm like keeping you from something you're supposed to be doing. And he was right. I'm supposed to be in India. And so uh, it was on a Monday night. I got released, and I went to Rainbow Drive, and I told Adrian, she's holding our four-month-old, and I said, hey, I got good news. And she's like, oh, we could use some good news because we had about $40,000 worth of debt, student loans, medical bills, and credit cards, and because we had, you know, bought our groceries on credit card because we didn't make a lot of money, and it was just, you know, it was tight. And so she could, she's like, I'm good, good news. I'm ready for some good news. What's the good news? I said, tomorrow is day number one of Kevin Cooley Ministries International. And she said, you got fired. <laughs> I said, well, no. It's, it's perspective. I got promoted. And so sure enough, we started Embassy of Hope, Kevin Cooley Ministries. And later that, by the end of that year, we were in India. We were planning. Actually, Trent, who's here this morning, he went with me and we scouted out the land. We spent a month in India finding a place to live, a place to have the Bible school. And by the time that first year had passed... The Lord had brought in about $180,000 into our ministry. We were completely out of debt. and We had planted the Bible school. We had started training laborers. And that is what we do in India is we train laborers. I want to read a verse to you. When I started going to India that first time as a young single guy, my pastor gave me a verse. And it's found in the book of Acts. I think I have it on my phone here. Acts chapter 26. Remember I told you to turn there? Acts chapter 26. And it's at verse 13. Acts 26 and verse 13, and this is what it says. It's, remember when Paul, he's giving his salvation testimony to King Agrippa. At midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me in the Hebrew language, saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. How many know it's hard to kick against God's plan for your life? You'll be miserable doing anything else. Verse 15, so I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. How many know when Jesus appears to you, it's for a purpose? And then he tells him what the purpose is, to make you something that you you didn't used to be, to make you a minister and a witness. So my pastor, when he gave me this verse, he didn't know that Jesus appeared to me when I was eight years old to make me a minister and a witness. And there he is. He's given me this verse. I've appeared to you for this purpose to make you both a minister and a witness of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. And I will deliver you from the Jewish people and from the nations to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan 
to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And then he says, and I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So when I was eight years old, I had a heavenly vision. And I've not been perfect, but I've not been disobedient to that vision. And so what do we do? I want to read one more verse to you. It's in Matthew chapter 9. And I want to tell you about what we do in India. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. Jesus, he says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered. One translation says they were harassed and under attack. Like sheep having no shepherd, like people having no pastor. How many know it bothers God when people don't have a pastor? And when you don't have a pastor, you're harassed and you're under attack. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the what? The laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out what? Laborers into his harvest. It doesn't say pray the Lord of the harvest to build hospitals or to start elementary schools or to even rescue children from human trafficking. Are all those things good? Yes. But what are we to pray for? Laborers to be sent into the harvest. So what do we do in India? We train laborers. Laborers who start elementary schools. Laborers who rescue children from human trafficking. Laborers who provide medical care to those who need it. Laborers who feed hungry people who don't have food. Laborers who preach the gospel and see signs, wonders, and miracles performed. See, Jesus didn't tell us to raise up orphanages. He said raise up laborers. Pray for laborers. And that's what we do. I want to tell you about some of those laborers today. The first one, her name is Elizabeth. We trained Elizabeth in 2014. And after we trained her, and that's her on the right, the little short lady, and she said, well, Pastor Kevin said we should plant a church. So she planted a church. And then she said, well, Pastor Kevin said that we should preach the gospel to uh, that God will pour out his spirit on sons and daughters, children and youth. So, we, so she started having youth crusades. And God started, she'd be preaching, and God would sovereignly pour out his spirit on these Hindu teenagers and these Hindu college students. And you have to realize, you saw, you saw her. I, I love her. She's one of my spiritual daughters. But in the natural, there's nothing impressive about her. She stands about this tall, and when she speaks, it's kind of monotone. But when she speaks the word of God, the Holy Ghost pour, is poured out on people and rocks their world. And these Hindu young people are like, what is, what is this? And she leads them by the droves to Jesus. She's planted a church. She sees thousands of young people come to Christ. She now preaches the gospel in 10 of the prisons in the, in the state that she lives in. And then she started a ministry amongst transgender people. She started leading these transgender men to Jesus. Men that had emasculated themselves. They started repenting of their sin and making Jesus the Lord of their life. And she said, Pastor, they want to get saved. What do I do? I said, lead them in the prayer. And then she came to us and said, one of these trans, they're like the, they're, they're like the drag queens of India. She said, now one of them wants to be a missionary to preach the gospel to other drag queens. What do I do? I'm like, well, they didn't teach me this at Bible college, so I'm going to make it up as I go. I say, give him a Bible and ordain him. And so they did. We have a missionary drag queen who's repentant of his sins, doesn't live that way anymore. But he can't go back without a creative miracle and have everything put back where it belongs. But he can move forward and tell other people about Jesus. Aren't you glad God doesn't consult your past to determine your future? And it's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done for you to set you free so you can help set other people free. You say, well, I don't like that. Well, I don't care. I'm just glad people aren't going to hell anymore. Amen. The Bible says preach the gospel to every creature. And little Elizabeth is doing that. God bless her. She, she believes God every month for about $1,500 so she can do everything that God's called her to do. And I don't know how she gets the money. Some of it's from her church, but she's just living by faith. I'd like to send her, you know. You know how much it costs to train Elizabeth? About $400. That's it. And now look what all she's done. I mean, that's a good ROI, return on investment. I want to tell you about another laborer. His name is Samuel. Some of you have met him. He's actually preached here before. We trained him in 2003. And before he got saved, he was a train robber. 
Literally, he robbed trains. So he's already bold and crazy. So now he's born again and came to our Bible school and got filled with the Holy Spirit. And now he's robbing the train going to hell. Getting people off of that train onto the right train, heaven bound. And so he came to me one time, well, a couple of years ago, he said, he talks like this, Pasta, he's got a big voice, Pasta, the Lord told me to preach the gospel in Gujarat. I said, are you sure, man? Because that's dangerous. I mean, they'll kill you in Gujarat and just tell everybody you died for preaching the gospel. They'll throw you in prison for at least four years at best. He says, I don't care, Pastor, the Lord said to go, I'm going to go. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. How much will it cost to do your gospel festival? He said, $3,000, only $3,000. I said, I tell you what, if you go and preach, I'll pay for it because I ain't going there. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, a few years ago, our church, we received an offering for Samuel, and we paid for him to go to Gujarat and preach the gospel, and now thousands have come to Christ. They hadn't killed him or thrown him in jail, and now he's planted a Bible school there, and that's a picture of it. And so now he's got three Bible schools uh, one in Burma, one in Gujarat, one in his hometown where he pastors his church. And this guy, he's just bold, preaching the gospel. Thousands get saved, and it costs $400 to train that guy. $438 about. And we, we, we do send him. Look at all those people getting saved. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's the best $438 we've ever invested. And now he's training other leaders and discipling others. It's awesome. This past Christmas, just a few weeks ago, he got his worship team, and he went out in the middle of his town square, and they started singing Christmas songs. And Hindus love a festival, so they came out by the hundreds. And then he put his Santa Claus hat on, and he goes, how many of you want to hear the Christmas story? Like, oh, yeah, everybody likes a story. He said, once upon a time, God was born as a man in a manger, and he preached the gospel. And he gave an altar call, and hundreds made Jesus the Lord of their life, and Jesus got the best birthday present he's ever gotten, and that was people getting born again. Now, can you imagine me in a Santa hat trying to preach in Bengali out there? No, it wouldn't have gone very well, because I speak Bengali like some of y'all speak Spanish. I can say, hello, how are you, what's up, where's the bathroom, taco, you know, just stuff like that. That's about it. But we train laborers who already speak the language, who already eat the food, who already understand the culture, and they make a huge impact. Let me tell you about another laborer. Her name is Rena. Trained her around 2011, and she got married about a year and a half ago. So sorry, fellas, she's taken. She's in her early 30s. She might be 31, and she now... We have about 100 churches in our network and growing, and we have over 1,000 laborers that we've trained. and She now oversees all of that entire network. She travels the country checking on our churches and leads our Bible school. Now, in India, women are very suppressed. Some may say, well, well just let, if Hinduism is good enough for them, let them have it. No, it's not good enough for them because it kills people and oppresses people. And it teaches you to oppress women, to make them walk three steps behind their husband. And if their husband's eating his food and there's a rock in his rice because she didn't pick all the rocks out, she gets beaten. And if the husband dies before the wife, when they burn his body, uh, they just take her and burn her alive because they figure it was her fault that he died. I mean, that is how that religion works. And so, no, it's not good enough for them. So, uh, and that's, but that's how women are treated in India. Can I just tell you that Rena, she don't walk three steps behind nobody. She's married to a good godly guy who understands how to honor his, his wife. And she goes and she does these huge crusades and outreaches. And she's bold and miracles happen. People get born again. And she empowers women all over the nation of India. Now, uh, I, 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 my understanding of this story, I hope I'm through interpreters and all that getting this right, but there was a big crowd of people out on the open field, and people were trying to come disrupt. You know, the, the radical Hindus were trying to disrupt and create chaos and disperse our meetings and stuff. And so, uh, Rena, one day she said, I take authority over every spirit that's trying to disrupt this meeting in Jesus' name. You sit down and shut up. And then she preached the gospel, and God moved. And well, after the meeting's over, everybody's gone. There's still a few people sitting out in the field. And so people went to him and said, hey, the meeting's over. You can go now. And they said, well, that lady told us to sit down and shut up. Can, can we leave now? I mean, that's a good investment right there. $400 to train a laborer that's going to go kick devil butt and take names. I like it. 
And so I wish I had time to tell you about Along, who they, they outside of the um, Hindu temple, his uncle's preaching the gospel, and they burned him alive outside the Hindu temple. And he came to me, and he said, Pastor Kevin, will you help me go do a crusade outside the Hindu temple where they burned my uncle alive? And I said, well, if you'll go, I'll pay for it. And that's along, me telling him I'll pay for it. And he just breaks down into tears. And so we helped him go. And, and outside the Hindu temple where they burned his uncle alive for preaching the gospel, he preached the gospel, and 700 souls came to Jesus that night. And now every year he goes back. He preaches. He's on our staff in India. And then there's Kenny, who's planted a church in wild, wild Nagaland where they used to be headhunters. And then there's... Uh, uh, that's Kenny right there. And then there's uh, Elizabeth, uh, not Elizabeth, uh, Lily. And so she also lives in Nagaland. And out of her own pocket, she's taken in 25 boys who had nowhere to live and no food to eat. And she takes care of these boys. And one day they ran out of food. But Pastor Kenny pulled up in a pickup truck. He said, the Lord told us to bring you some food. He had a pickup truck loaded down with food. And God supernaturally provided. And these are laborers that we've spent a few hundred dollars to train. And they're going out. And they continue to reach people exponentially. Then there's Pintu, who, uh, Pintu, we trained him in 1999, and so he's a beautiful Bengali guy. We send him $100 a month, and we tell you what all he's doing. He now pastors 10 churches. He's planted 10 churches, and he goes in a little boat between the Bangladesh and India border where there's no gospel witness amongst millions of people except for him. He preaches the gospel, and we trained him for $400 and for $100 a month. What if, what if we gave him $500 a month? He probably had 50 churches. But we need to train more laborers. And I could go on and on and on and on and on. But for time's sake, I don't want to keep you here all day. Like, uh, uh, like Brittany Spears told her first husband, I ain't going to keep you long. So I want to get you out of here as quickly as possible. But I want you to know that Embassy of Hope is like a mutual fund. We, Our ministry is to train and equip laborers to fulfill their ministry. Our calling is to help them fulfill their calling. And we're like a mutual fund. When, we, when people partner with us, we go and we find the laborers that are giving us the best return on our investment, that are planning Bible schools, planning churches, training up other laborers, winning the loss, and we invest into them. And so you might decide to partner with us for $20 a month, or you might decide to become a tither. And when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, you invested well. You're like, I did. I just did twenty dollars a month. Or no, but you're gonna. He's gonna show you this sea of people that are in heaven because you gave, but you gave into a mutual fund where we we found the the best return on your investment. And Jesus is gonna say, "Well done, good and faithful servant." So we have a goal, and that goal is by the year 2020. We want to add 220 brand new partners to our ministry. We we're looking for 200 partners that will support the work in India for $20 a month. And we already have about 60 or so of those new partners. So we're making progress. 20 partners at $200 a month. And we have about five of those so far. 200 partners that will give a one-time gift of $1,000. We've had four or five of those. So we're making progress. And so our current project is we bought three acres in northeast India. First time we've bought land in India. We $100,000. The money supernaturally came in. We paid off the land. And now we need about a quarter million dollars to build a multi-purpose facility. It'll be a children's home, a Bible school, and a local church. And our next project is to build... Uh, that's us dedicating land. Our next project is to build a wall around that property so that we can, that's just how you do it. And you build the wall first and then you build the, the multi-purpose facility. And so that's what our wall is going to look like. That's actually our neighbor's wall. And the reason it's so big is because you have to, nearby there's a jungle and you, there's elephants in the jungle and tigers in the jungle. So we want to keep the elephants out and the orphans in. We don't want the orphans getting stepped on and, and eaten by tigers and that sort of thing. So we have to build this pretty impressive wall. It's about a $40,000 wall, and we've got, that includes a digging a well, getting electricity connected, and we've got about 10000 of those dollars to start that project. So we're progressing. Things are coming along, but we're going to do that seven times in the seven major language zones of India. We already have a base down in the south. That's where our first original major base is. And then up in the extreme northeast, that's where Brother Mike lives. You've probably, some of you know who he is. I'll tell you more about him later. Then the next one down. So that's where our land is. And then up in the far 
uh, upper left-hand side. You see that one? We're working on buying a small piece of property there right now where Rena, who I told you she leads our network, she lives there, so where she's from. We're going to buy, that's where our next base is going to be. We're going to buy a small piece of land there for about $6,000, and it's about 2,500 square feet, which is not a lot, but it's enough to build a multi-story something just to get started. So anyway, my point is we've got a lot of good things going on, and you're a part of that. If you give to Harvest Church, Harvest Church supports the work in India. And I told everybody earlier that if you wrote a million-dollar check to our work in India today, and, and I hope you do, and if you don't know how to spell million, I'll, I'll help you. But, uh, but it, it would, I would do a dance, but it would not change my life, but it would help me to change a whole lot of other lives over there in the richest, most abundant harvest field on planet Earth today. So um, we told you about the laborers that we train, and then finally, I want to tell you one last story, and that is about... An old man that I led to Jesus years ago, I was on my motorcycle just riding around one day in India, and I was just looking at, there's thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people just all headed to the train station. It was, they were going to a, a big festival, and, and I was thinking, how are we going to reach all these people? I mean, it's impossible. 1.3 billion people in India, the second most populated nation on the planet, soon to be the first. And I'm looking at all these people. As I'm driving by, I saw this old man laying on the side of the road. And as I'm trying to figure out how to reach all these thousands of people, the Holy Spirit said, will you reach that one? I thought, well, I don't, I'll try, Lord. I don't speak the language very well. But... So I parked my motorcycle, and I went over to this old man. And when I got close, I could, he's barely clothed. He's skin and bones. It's like a skeleton with skin stretched over him. And he's laying there in his own waist. There's flies all around him. He's got open sores on his body, cataracts over his eyes. And I say to him, uncle, which is what you call an older man in India, uncle. I said, God sent me to help you. And he said, which God? And I said, his name is Jesus. Do you know Jesus? He said, I don't know him. I don't know that God. And he said, water, water. So I had a little water, and I gave him some, and just poured down the front of his face as he tried to drink it. His tongue was all swollen up from dehydration. And then, then he said, uh, bread. I don't have any bread, uncle. He said, well, take me there to the train station. There's lots of people there. I can beg for money to buy one more piece of bread before I die. I didn't really think about it. Probably better that I didn't. But I just reached down and I scooped him up. And I just started walking down towards the train station. And he was mostly blind, and so he just reached up to touch my face, and he said, who are you? And I just said, like I said, my Hindi wasn't very good at the time. It's still not great. But I said, I'm a boy God sent to help you. He said, which God? I said, his name is Jesus. He said, he's a good God, isn't he? I said, he is. Uncle Gia got up, Bolenge, Prebu, Eshu Messia, Mera Prebuhe, To Mukti de la Eshu, Nam Shanti de la Eshu, Nam Shakti de la Abka Jiva Naya, Hojega. If you will say, Jesus, you are my Lord, then you will have redemption from your sins. You will have peace. You will have power. You will have a brand new life. He said, What's his name? His name is Jesus, uncle. His name is Jesus. I laid him down there by the gate. And as I was walking away, I thought, I don't know if I did a good job. We've got to train laborers who speak the language, who eat the food, who know the culture. I can't do this. We have to train laborers. As I started walking away from that old man, he propped up himself up on his elbows. And I heard him say, Unkanam Eshu. His name is Jesus, and he is my Lord. And one day, when I get to heaven, there's a lot of people I want to see. There's a lot of people I want to meet. 
But I hope the first thing I hear when I get there is that old man shouting up and down the streets of gold. His name is Jesus. He's my Lord. What I want to tell you today, there are literally hundreds of millions of people in that nation that are in the same spiritual condition as that man was. I don't know when he, that old man slipped into eternity. It might have been that night. It might have been the next day. It wasn't long. I do know that. But I do know he knows Jesus' name. And he said Jesus was his Lord. And I know our God is good and merciful. But there are hundreds of millions more like him that need to, they haven't even heard the name. I've been in villages where I've told people about, do you know Jesus Christ? And I had somebody say to me what time. They said, no, what factory does he work at? And it would be funny if it wasn't so sad. And I've had other ones, do you know Jesus Christ? They said, yes, that's an American soft drink. No, that's Coca-Cola. That's something totally different. But they need a witness. Did you know, though, that you work with people who don't know Jesus either? And there's power for you and I to be a witness right here in Mobile. And I want us to tap into that power. In fact, I want to tell you before we go today that you've seen all over the church today signs that say, push for a thousand, pull for a thousand. We're believing God to reach a thousand people through our three Easter services. Would you begin to invite people to come worship with us that day? Because we're going to have a clear gospel presentation and give people the opportunity to meet Jesus. So... I want to pray for you today before we go. The greatest thing that you can give God is your life, is your heart. Would you bow your head today? Father, we come before your throne of grace, and I ask that by the goodness of the Holy Spirit that you would draw people to your son, Jesus. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you're watching us today and you don't know that his name is Jesus and that he is your Lord, would you please let me include you in this prayer? If you would say, Pastor Kevin, please include me in the prayer of salvation. I want you to know I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to make you stand up or anything like that, but if you want me to include you in this prayer real quickly, wherever you are, just slip your hand up right now. Let me see who you are. Awesome. I see your hand. God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you as well. Anybody else want to join these two or three that raise their hand? If you're watching us online, join us in prayer right now. Harvest Church, let's all pray it together with those that raise their hand. Say it with me today. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe in my heart. Jesus died for my sins. They buried him. But on the third day, I believe you raised him from the dead. And I'm asking you, raise me from the dead. Jesus... You are my Lord. From this day forward, I am yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen.